Hello and welcome. I'm your host Pooja Sarkar and you're listening to the podcast from the bookshelves of Forbes India. I'm delighted to announce that Forbes India with HarperCollins India has launched the Reset podcast series where we promise to bring you some riveting reads from their collection. This is the third episode in this series. Our podcast is all about finance and economics and so let's get back to basics. How to read a balance sheet? What do you look for while analyzing a company? How do you pick a stock? Basic things but that need attention and so I decided to rope in Mr. Anil Lamba to discuss his book Romancing the Balance Sheet and his latest Eye on the Bottom Line. Welcome Mr. Lamba to our show. So when did you decide that you would like to, you know, break down numbers for other people? What was the reason for actually writing these books? So I never really thought of getting into this line it just happened to me pooja you know i passed out as a chartered accountant decided to set up practice day 1 without working anywhere same year in fact in the first couple of months i got an invitation from management college to teach which i took on very reluctantly uh, but then i enjoyed it so much that it became a passion thereafter then the profile of teaching changed very soon i had to stop college teaching because practice had picked up and time constraints were there but then corporate invitations started coming and then individual businessmen and professionals used to invite so one thing led to another i don't know how and since i used to enjoy it so much eventually it took over my life i left my practice behind so even though i didn't decide it today we train several thousand companies globally across the world in europe in us in middle east in far east in africa and russia and india and so on uh, and it was a journey of discovery discovery was how little people understand you know when you study a subject when you pass out you realize you think that you learned it now everybody else knew it all along and then you discover how little people know and in this subject of mind what a price people pay for not understanding this i mean the price is businesses shut down you might be aware that i think uh, over 90% of businesses worldwide fail out of businesses that fail over 90% fail due to bad finance management so the sense of satisfaction is you're not only teaching people the subject but you're helping them become stronger you're helping them survive you're helping them prosper so it's a great feeling of happiness and satisfaction doing this true uh yes. one thing i wanted to understand when it comes to you know teaching how to read a balance sheet uh what are the most common simple mistakes that people make what are the mistakes that you want people to avoid ah first of all to make mistakes you must understand this statement is so uh, less understood lots of people have a mind block against finance they don't understand not because they don't want to not because they've tried and failed you know people have two misconceptions number one that it is difficult number two that it is boring now my answer always somebody says it's boring i said damn it we're talking about money how can money ever be boring and number two it's i think an absolutely common sense subject but because because people have a mind block they stay away from the subject so within balance sheets you know balance sheet itself is such a simple statement we say you can not only learn how to read a balance sheet in a short period of time but in a give me 3 minutes and i will teach you how to make a balance so once you understand that a balance sheet nothing but 
one side tells you where the money has come from other side tells you where the money has gone now i have these two rules which i feel if people don't violate they will avoid most of the financial mismanagement related problems and even if one rule is violated they will pay a price so the first thing you must keep in mind is no money is free out of the all the sources of money each one has a cost so you said what options people have what don't they understand number one this is what they don't understand many people are under the impression that only debt fund has a cost owners capital is free and the answer is not only owners capital not free it is probably the most expensive source of money available now if sources have a cost but you use mm -hmm. these to acquire assets which have an ability to earn so the first fundamental rule common sense rule says don't ever invest your money without ensuring that what you will earn through the deployment is at least equal to the cost of capital preferably greater than the cost of capital now this is such a simple truism but it's amazing how many people don't understand first of all they don't understand cost of capital if they do understand cost the perception of cost of capital is very different so the target set for earning itself is wrong which is way below what they should be second rule says not only sources have a cost but in a balance sheet you know they are shown under a heading called liability and the reason sure. is you got to remember none of these sources are gifts they are liabilities including owners money that means those who have given you the money today are going to expect it back sometime or the other including owners mind you a banker may give you a fixed time to repay the owner doesn't give you a fixed time that doesn't mean he doesn't want it back worse come to worse when a business shuts down he expects this money to have been preserved in fact it should have appreciated and therefore if sources have to be paid back how will you pay them back balance sheet is only two sides sources and users so the sources are used to acquire the assets and the assets has to bring the money to pay back the liabilities but what is important is the assets should bring back the money before the liabilities have to be paid back so basically money has to come in before it has to be paid out and it has to earn equal to or greater than what it cost uh, there is one thing i wanted to understand you know when people come to you what is what are the most frequently asked questions to you what are the you know what are the myths that you're busting all the time one is this you see finance actually is full of myths to be busted so they can't be one or two uh, certain things lead to let's say unscrupulous people lead use it to manipulate uh, profits when they understand that the higher the inventory that appears in the books higher the profit mm -hmm. so so the, the, this is a contradiction by itself how can higher inventory lead to higher profit but higher inventory means lower consumption because if your purchases are constant if to mm -hmm. be the same one person has a lower inventory second has a higher inventory that means the second fellow has consumed less so profit becomes higher because consumption is lower not because the inventory is higher but once people understand these things they misuse these uh, understandings to manipulate so a lot of people are looking at how to show less show less profit not have less profit but show less profit for taxation and so on another thing they don't understand is how fixed costs can help you magnify profits 
So when you mm-hmm. make a statement, higher the fixed cost, higher the profit, again, it sounds like a contradiction. But you know, fixed costs by the by the definition mean they remain fixed. So if you have a higher proportion of fixed costs as compared to variable costs, what happens when incomes go up, costs don't go up. So profits go up faster. But on the flip side, if incomes fall, costs don't fall. So profits come down equally fast. So these are all various things. I'm just giving you a few samplings of things that people need to understand. Uh, mm-hmm. But there are lots of people, you know, they would not be able to articulate their expectations because there's such a huge amount of ignorance to be able to say, this is what I need to understand. You should know what is there is to understand, isn't it? That is true. Uh, one to understand one thing, you know, a lot of us uh, look at companies uh, to analyze companies as part of our work. And then there are some who use uh, the knowledge to analyze companies to invest in stocks. And I, and I read this line in your book. It says, it is my belief that investing in shares is a national dis- national duty. So I want to understand why do you say so and if in detail you could explain our listeners uh, on you know what are the key metrics while analyzing a company uh, when to get in the market or how do you assess when to get in the market so if you could just take the listeners through uh, you know this important part called stock market investing which everybody loves to hear about see your one question has many questions rolled into it so let me <laughs> yeah. see if i can split them and answer one by one so first you asked about uh, why did i say why do i say and i often say that investing in shares is a national duty uh, you know even though i advocate a lot about stock market investing i uh, try and encourage people to invest but i'm not i do nothing related to stock market in a professional capacity so i don't have a vested interest over there and nevertheless i feel it's so important that i go around encouraging everyone to invest now the reason i say it's a national duty is you know uh, so let me ask you a question let's say i come to you and i say puja I've got this brilliant idea, business idea. Uh, I have the idea, but I don't have the money. You have a lot of money. So I, why don't you invest with my business? And you know, your money, my idea will make it a big success. And all of us will become very rich. And you know, the money that you invest, I will return to you multiplied many fold. Let's say 25 years from today. Would you be interested? Chances are you will not be interested. Why not? What will put you off is you said, what? You'll return this money to me 25 years later. Your reaction will be, you know, today I have the money, but what if I need it tomorrow? So it doesn't matter how attractive my proposition is. Chances are you will refuse. Now imagine I come to you and I say, Pooja, I've got this brilliant business idea. Why don't you invest your money and we'll do this and we'll do that and we'll make so much money. And Pooja, whenever you want it back, I will give it back. Wouldn't you be far more inclined towards investing? This is what the stock yes. does. A stock okay. market gives an investor an exit. Now, when you find it, when you find an exit available, you will be more inclined to invest when you are inclined to invest more entrepreneurs, those brilliant youngsters, those other intelligent people who are brimming with ideas, but they can't put it to practice because they don't have money. More entrepreneurs are born. 
more entrepreneurs are born more employment is generated more production happens more gdp happens but now imagine somebody tells you puja invest whenever you want you can get it back and you tomorrow want your money and you tell your broker sell my shares and you find there are no buyers the whole thing goes fuck when more and more of us invest when a large percentage of our population invests what happens is the stock market is teeming with activity when the stock market is teeming with activity more people are inclined towards investing when more people are willing to invest you see the it, if you want to exit you should be able to find a buyer a seller should be able to find a buyer a buyer should be able to find a seller when buyers and sellers find it easier to find each other like i said more entrepreneurs will be born more production more gdp etc and it is good for the country now in india doesn't matter how active the stock market is we not even touch 5% of our population that invests in developed nations the percentage is as high as 50% so i feel it's a national duty to invest and and to you know support my point i always say you will never come across a developed nation with an underdeveloped stock market that means there is a certain connection between the development of the country and the development of the stock market i don't know what led to what but i'm saying if we can't directly contribute to nation development at least we can contribute indirectly via the stock market so i feel it's a national duty but having said so i would rather you don't invest than <laughs> foolishly and get in like a fool without understanding and burn your fingers because that kind of an investor is very very dangerous because that investor comes out hurting and then that person never ever invests and not only that he goes and discourages 10 20 30 others from investing that you know you don't make this mistake i did it and and such people are extremely dangerous and therefore knowledge understanding ability to read balance sheet become critical now you said what to read in a balance sheet so first of all you see stock market investing depends on two things uh, successful investing depends on as everyone says number one your ability to do fundamental analysis and number two a technical analysis fundamental analysis helps you choose companies technical tells you when to get in and when to get out so balance sheet reading helps you in fundamental analysis and from a fundamental analysis point of view one is my two rules read those balance sheets see what this company has done see are they following rule 1 see are they following rule 2 uh, most companies that fail due to financial mismanagement out of which most of them fail because they are guilty of having used short term money to acquire long term assets or short term money is used for long term purposes pick up any of the failed companies recently that you heard of you'll find most are guilty including finance company like ilfs and so on pick up jp associates pick up uh, amtech pick up lanco infrastructure most of these you will find they are guilty of having used short term money for long term purposes which is why they went sick and here we have a simple thing monitor two ratios monitor a ratio called current ratio and a ratio called liquid ratio or quick ratio so these are a few things and and to evaluate the health i find two tools are very very important number one a tool called leverage analysis and number two a tool called funds flow analysis these are little less understood areas but they give you a tremendous insight 
but also, I mean, apart from just talk, because right now the markets are so bad, everybody has been caught unawares. Uh, how do you think people uh, people will be able to get out of this situation? You know, what should be what should they get out of? I, these these are opportunities that come once in 10, 15 years. I mean, if the market keep booming, that's nothing to be happy about. Unless you had bought it in the previous crash, only those people are happy. I think crashes in the markets are great time to get in. We have seen good stocks, but selling at such crazy valuations, you feel when will I ever buy? If I had them, I would have probably sold and got out. I'm talking about in the boom time before the crash. Now is such a wonderful time. All the people who say, I miss the bus, I miss the bus. Here the bus is back at your doorstep. Jump on now. So I think today is a great time to buy. If you are a long-term investor, and I, I, I don't like intraday trading, that's not that I'm against it. But I think for that, you must understand the market completely and the risks involved. But for long-term investors, blue chip shares are available at such mouth-watering valuations. Because these opportunities don't come again. Uh, of course, people wait for the market to bottom out, which it is impossible to understand. And therefore, you keep waiting perpetually. So, so I think the two mistakes people make is... They sell when the market goes up and they buy when the market falls. I think you should do the reverse. So when the market goes up, they say, oh, I've made 10%, 20% profit. Let me get out. And they sell and the market continues to rise. Don't sell in a rising market. Let it rise. When it starts falling is the time to sell. Prices fall, people pick up. When it goes on falling after that. So never buy in a falling market. Wait for the market to fall and let it start picking up. So since you can't identify the bottom and you can't identify the top, when the market reaches the bottom and it starts moving upwards is the time to get in. Easier said than done, of course. And therefore, the other alternative is buy at every fall, little, little bit and accumulate. So these are the few mistakes people make. And if you, but they're not, this is not rocket science. Anyone who's been in the market made a couple of mistakes. They learn lessons. I hope they learn lessons. The next time they don't repeat. But right now you don't need anything to get out of. I think this is, I was beginning to get worried when the market started going up again last couple of days. I was saying, oh, it was basically falling. And yesterday when it crashed, it gave me a, a nice feeling. Not that I am in favor or I'm, I'm a sadist or something. But I am also waiting for market to fall further to make investments in this market. There is an interesting part in your book uh, where you talk about how it, how evading tax is more expensive than paying it. Oh yes. And uh, and I really found it very interesting and true in the sense that you know over the years we've seen that you know the people in the in the workforce. Will which is actually paying taxes in India is far lower than the ones that are not paying it. And therefore, you get taxed more in various other forms of cess. Uh, there are multiple cess that have come along our way uh, from Swachh Bharat to water to everything. We actually keep paying more in other forms. So if you could explain our listeners, what do you mean by this and what is the whole concept about it? This is another thing I've been passionate about. I was a practicing CA. Most people come to chartered accountants to learn how to save taxes. And I was one of the rare guys who used to say, no, no, I think you should pay taxes. So, so obviously, I was not very popular when I made this recommendation. 
but the reason i said it was because i think i've always maintained any attempt at trying to save tax is more expensive than the payment of the tax itself now let me try and elaborate you said very few people in india pay taxes there are two reasons for that one is there's a large percentage of people who don't have sufficient income to pay so that is something you can't do anything about in fact the government should try and increase their incomes so that they can start paying taxes but they are a very very large percentage is below the poverty line you can't expect them to pay those who are above the poverty line are still earning lesser than the minimum amount required for payment of taxes and so on so that's one part uh, those people in fact we have sympathy for we hope soon they'll come into the tax bracket but the people who damage the country are the tax evaders now tax evaders are the people who earn who should be paying taxes and who don't and that is little i think absolutely criminal i think they would have been better off had they paid rather than by not paying why uh let's first look at uh, two things uh, number one let's say there's an honest tax payer that person also tries to save taxes but that person does it through legitimate means so that is called tax planning second kind of a person is who evades who doesn't pay taxes he earned but what is his modus operandi his modus operandi is i will not disclose what i have earned i have said both these people have not paid taxes the tax planners attempt is what to either reduce your tax liability or to eliminate it tax evaders attempt is what identical to reduce or to eliminate so when the end result of the actions of both these people is the country doesn't get taxed then why am i saying that the tax planner is a very nice person and the tax evader is a crook and a criminal like i said the difference in the methods when a tax planner saves tax that person saves tax himself but in the process the nation benefits even more it's a win win situation now what does a tax evader do tax evader looks at his income how much i have earned so much he says i don't want to pay tax modus operandi is what just keep mum they're not magicians sitting in the income tax department who will come to know now folks the very fact that a tax planner also did not pay tax and the tax evader also did not pay tax i think is a very minor crime but this minor crime of the tax evader leads to a major crime now here we need to understand the simple concept of income every time a rupee changes hands it becomes somebody's income and government gets a part of it tax evader when he doesn't pay tax the very fact he has not paid tax in a minor crime but a major crime is the tax planner doesn't pay tax but the guy is not scared to spend he earns money and spends he buys property he buys shares tax evader doesn't pay tax minor crime but because he hasn't paid tax the fellow doesn't spend why does he not spend because if he spends there is a chance of him getting caught if he earns money doesn't pay tax and goes on books a property with the builder sometime or the other income tax notice can come if he does anything by which the money can be traced back so his options of spending get reduced when his options get spending get reduced he starts hoarding that money and this is where the bigger crime starts he breaks that chain government earns by way of taxes and it spends 
but you know what very often they plan the spending before they want so spending of the government is independent of earning so if you evade tax do you think the government will not spend government will spend so if they find your collection of income tax is less they will like you said they'll add those cesses if that is less they'll add increase gst if if ultimately they can't collect they'll probably print money if they print money the value of your and my money falls so what i'm saying is eventually we have to pay whatever you do you and i have to pay and if we had to pay the cheapest way of paying was the original way in which you were asked. so trying to save tax is a mug's game according to me. okay that's a quite an interesting one thank you so much mr lamba for your time and i hope you guys had a great time listening to us and remind you to come back next wednesday when we have a very interesting book to discuss